Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word in order to lead us to a personal transformational relationship with God. Here's Mark Sheldrake with the podcast series, Ignite Your Passion for God. Hello, everyone out there in the internet, whether you're listening on our website or through the Precept app or one of our partners, iTunes or SoundCloud. This is Mark Sheldrake, Unlocking the Truth podcast. So glad you are participating with us. Hopefully, Lord willing, you are doing the Ignite Your Passion study alongside of this podcast. And what uh, you're hearing through this ministry is just a enhancement of what you have been studying in God's Word on your own. Of course, Precept always encourages you to dig into the Word and discover the truth for yourself, and so uh, we hope that you'll visit our website, find out more information about Precept and how you can get engaged in God's Word through small group Bible studies, or if you're studying on your own, that's okay too. The inductive Bible study method is a tremendous tool for getting you into God's Word and having your eyes open to the truth of Scripture. Before we start the episode, I want to share a couple things with you that are uh, very important for us at the ministry. Uh, We always want to encourage you to participate in our free training workshops that are coming up uh, throughout the rest of the month of November, and then there are a couple opportunities in December, and then check out what's happening in the new year, the beginning of 2022, uh, and to see what uh, Precept will be offering. Second, uh, if you have never had the opportunity to study the book of Philippians, I want to encourage you to grab the book of Philippians and join us as we launch the Philippians podcast in just a few weeks. Uh, This podcast is going to take us through how to have joy in the midst of the circumstances that we are in. I am so looking forward to this podcast going out uh, to, to the internet and to folks like you who are listening because we need joy. Oh, do we need joy in this world? And man, we're going to find out how we can have this joy and how the, this joy is not based on our circumstances or the things that surround us. So uh, make sure you tune in for that. That should be releasing uh, after Ignite Your Passion for God. Episodes are all done. We're just about to kick off episode four, and then we have two more episodes coming up after that. Finally, we are Precept coming into our year end, and uh, in our year end is when uh, almost 70% of our financial gifts come into the ministry in the last month of the year. And I would encourage you that if you have been blessed by this uh, podcast ministry, that you would take the time to go over to preceptministries.ca and click the donate button. And any gift of any kind uh, would be so grateful to come into this ministry so that we can use those funds to continue to do this podcast ministry as well as equipping leaders to teach precept Bible studies across Canada. We believe that God's word is the answer to everything that we see happening in our country. Uh, God's word will give us 
the hope that we need, and it also gives us the road to finding Jesus Christ. And so we want to keep getting out there with the materials that we have, as well as this podcast, so that more and more people will come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So you can participate and partner with us in this ministry by clicking that donate button. All right, folks, without further ado, let me pray and then let's dig in to God's word and our topic for this week. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to to minister in this way. We thank you for uh, the technology that has been uh, built so that we can not only record this, that we can also send this out and people from all all over the world can listen to the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that as we look at a new topic today, that we be encouraged, we be blessed, and that we would uh, be transformed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, folks, here's the deal. We are heading into one of the controversial subjects for Ignite Your Passion for God. Why is it so controversial? Because there's so many arguments that occur over the topic of worship. How can there be so many uh, controversies over worship? Well, some might say, well, we can't have the drums. The drums are too loud. Uh, No electric guitars, or we just need to stick with the organ. And then you start to have these divisions that occur over really not worship, but over music styles. All right, so we have some churches that would run in our country that would be on the top end of having a very well-presented, almost concert-like worship service with, you know, smoke and uh, the dry ice coming up and, you know, everybody's well-tuned and the instruments are just perfect and it sounds like you've gone to a professional concert, that level of presentation. And then on the other end, I have been to churches where uh, the people who are leading the worship are are using things like YouTube videos to sing along because they don't have enough members in the church to uh, that have the gift of playing an instrument like a piano or an organ or a guitar. Whatever the case is, there's this wide range of discussion about worship in the church. Uh, I've heard, all right, I have heard this as a pastor, and I've heard this from congregation members that say, well, it's hard for me to get into a, a position of worship with my heart because of the old songs we are singing. And personally, just before we go any further, I kind of like the old songs because the old songs are filled with doctrine. Uh, some of the new songs that are out, we have to be very careful of because they they might sound good, all right? They might sing well, but they're not doctrinally correct, all right? So uh, this is the thing. What we're talking about here is we're not talking just about musical interests or things that we would think are the things that are at the beginning of what we would call the worship service on Sunday. All right, in the opening of our podcast, way back when we started this thing, one of the things that I talked about was, are we people 
who are so apathetic that the words on the screen are actually meaningless, empty words to us, all right? So that idea of, well, when I look and I see all of that doctrine that's coming down on the screen and as it moves and as the band or the organist or whoever is playing through that music, those words to me are empty. They have no meaning for me right now. I just am apathetic to the fact that I am singing about how great thou art, how great God is. Whatever the song may be, what we're talking about in worship is so much bigger than what the band does at the beginning of a church service. All right. If, if you want to think about this, the entire church service, why we call it a service of worship, is it's not just about the music. The whole thing, the whole thing we do on Sundays is an act of worship. All right. So from when we sing to when we read the scriptures to when we uh, put our offering in the offering plate. Wait a minute. Is that still happening in the midst of COVID? Uh, you know, the church that I'm participating in right now, there's no handing, handing a round of a plate, but there's like a bowl at the back uh, where you put your tithe in. Whatever the case may be, that very act of giving your tithe to the church and giving it to God for the work of the kingdom, that too is an act of worship. So we have to understand that worship is so much more than just the singing. But for some reason, when you say the word worship, that's automatically what we think about. That we automatically think about what uh, type of music we're playing, uh, what can happen. All right, I have seen it in my years as a youth pastor that we take students to these big events where they have these great bands where it's almost concert-like. It revs them up. It pumps them up. It gets them so excited. And you think, look at the passion on that student, how excited they are. Then you take them out of the event, and they're back to their normal uh, ho-hum way they're living. So the, the high doesn't stay as a high for a long period of time. All right, so we want to look at worship in a totally different way today and get a better understanding of what it means to ignite our passion for God through worship. How can we get fired up through worship? And I'm not talking about this momentary excitement that we might have on Sunday morning when we're singing a song we really love, all right? Remember Shine, Jesus, Shine? Oh, Shine, Jesus, Shine. This is showing my age now. I remember singing that song. Or, or there was another one, I could sing of your love forever. And then, of course, great is thy faithfulness. All of these things, what are we talking about when we're singing those songs? Okay, so let's walk through. Let me give you a quick definition of worship. And then we're going to look at the very first example in Scripture of an act of worship. All right, so worship is simply this. Worship is giving God his worth. All right, is, is us showing God uh, all of the glory, giving it all to him. God doesn't want to share his glory with anyone else. He only wants it for himself. And it is us ascribing to God what we think is his worth, all right? So in all that we do, we are showing that God is worthy of worship. And we're going to see this now uh, with Abraham and his son Isaac. We're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 22, 
and we're going to see how Abraham uh, gave his spiritual act of worship right here uh, in the beginning. So let me give you a quick little history. If you do not know about Abraham, here's the thing. If you've been studying precept for a while, you know that every one of our precept Bible studies, if it mentions Abraham in the text, you're going back to learn about Abraham. Uh, Romans, Galatians, so many books that speak of the covenant that God made with Abraham will always bring you back to Genesis 12 and on. All right, so here we are, Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Abraham so desperately wanted an heir, all right? Uh, His wife Sarah was barren, and there was no child to be born, therefore Abraham could not pass his inheritance onto him. God made a covenant with Abraham that he would have not only a son, but he would have descendants that could not be counted, more than the stars, and so he would be made a great nation. Uh, When Abraham believed that God had promised this, God considered him to be righteous, all right? This is long before the law, all right? So The law was not in place yet, and Abraham was considered to be righteous by faith. Why? Because he believed in God. So we're already seeing Abraham's faith from the very beginning when when God asked Abraham to step out and go to a new land. Abraham did so. Of course, along the line, there was some bumps in the road, and yet uh, Abraham continued to be faithful to God. All right, now, verse chapter 22, his son has been born, and uh, we know that he has uh, grown up a little bit, and he's with his father. Now, listen to what Genesis 22, verse 1. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go down to the land of Moriah And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Uh, What? (laughs) Wait a minute. I've been waiting so long for this son to be born. And and now you, God, want me to take Isaac and you want me to put him on an altar where we do burnt offerings to you as a sign of worship you now want me to put my son on the altar and sacrifice him to you Hmm. Uh, every time i come through this passage i think to myself uh, do i have the faith in god to be obedient to take my son and do that this this faith in god that abraham has here we're going to see it play out but it's it's quite amazing Uh, Abraham rose early in the morning, verse 3, and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Here is the first time in Scripture that the word worship, all right? So giving God all his worth is mentioned in 
the Bible. And it is all surrounding Abraham and Isaac. Now, now look at verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took into his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked together. Oh, man, when I close my eyes and I begin to picture what is happening here, that, you know, Abraham has got a knife with him, he's got some wood with him, and he's got his son. And they are about to head to the altar, uh, just the two of them, and the servants are staying behind. Verse 7, it just blows my mind. Verse 7 is one of those verses you look at and you, you, you know, just picture holding, holding your son's hand or your daughter's hand and you're walking with them with wood and, and the stuff to start the fire and a knife and, and the son, as he's holding hands, he looks up at you and says, listen to what Isaac says. He goes, hey, dad. Uh, it says, Isaac uh, spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, Abraham said, here I am. And he said, behold, fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? (laughs) Uh, Hey, Dad, you have all the parts that you need to give worship to God for the burnt offering, but you're missing the most important thing, which is the animal. Now, there's two amazing things about this. First of all, uh, this cannot be the first time that Isaac has gone with Abraham to the place of sacrifice. How does Isaac know that the components of a burnt offering are an animal for sacrifice and then the wood to start the fire and, of course, the knife to, to kill the animal? Isaac knows all of this. So Isaac has participated in this before, uh, would be our understanding, when he, when he knows that this is happening. And he's like, Dad, you're missing something. You're missing the burnt offering, which is a part of that act of worship. That's, that's key, Dad. Where is it? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. I, I would love just for, for one minute to get into the mind of Abraham, wouldn't you? Because you know the command from God is to take Isaac and put him on the altar and offer him as a sacrifice. And as Abraham is being obedient to God with son in tow, going to the place where God told them to sacrifice, and the son says, where's the animal? Abraham already knows Isaac is the one who is being sacrificed. And yet in his faith, he says, God's going to provide it. God's going to provide what is needed for the sacrifice. And they kept walking. Verse 9 says, they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
Do you know, it sounds like so simple, doesn't it? When you read uh, verse 9, they went to the place that God had told them to go. Abraham laid Isaac on the altar. Um, The text doesn't tell us. This is the thing. The text doesn't even, the text doesn't tell us if Isaac willingly got up there or Abraham commanded him to get up there or he picked him up and put him on there. It's hard for me to know because Again, the text doesn't tell us. Did Isaac give any type of struggle to the fact that he would want to go up there? Like, I try to think about my teenagers and my kids. Like, even, even my young kids, they, they kind of put up an argument with me when, they're, when they don't want to do something. Yet, it doesn't say that Abraham fully explained to him what was happening. It just tells us that Abraham was being obedient to God and so obedient that Isaac was laying on the altar, the wood was surrounding him, and he was about to make sacrifice, and then after sacrifice comes the fire. So Abraham raises the knife to slay and kill his one and only son who he wanted as an heir. All right, Abraham had another son, but the promise and the covenant was not to happen through the son he had with Hagar, but it was the covenant would pass through his son Isaac. All right, the, the son he had with Sarah. So this was his, his line that the covenant was going to go through, and Abraham is about to sacrifice the one thing he longed for and wished for. Why? Because God told him to. And so as he raises the knife and he's about to sacrifice his son, Listen to what the text tells us. Uh, The word but, I continue to say this wherever I am teaching, the word but either has good or bad that comes after it. And in verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. The angel said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him now. For I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then he raised his eyes, and he looked, and behold him, a ram was caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Verse 14 says, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. So let's, let's just summarize what happened here. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son on the altar. And the purpose of this was a test. It was a test to see how strong Abraham's faith in God was. And as the result of Abraham taking all of the steps that he did, the angel says, I know, Abraham, that you fear God. And so a part of this spiritual act of worship, all right, a part of worship is being obedient to God. 
Uh, when we show God all of his worth, we can show God his worth through our obedience. What does God want from us? God wants us to be obedient to him and have him be Lord over our life. He wants all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. These are the promises that come from the scripture. He, want, he does not want us to elevate ourselves above him. He doesn't want you to take his glory. He wants all the glory from himself, and so he deserves it. He is God. Uh, we cannot fully understand the magnificence of who God is. And he deserves all of the glory. And Abraham shows how far he is willing to go to show God his worth, that he fears God. He's willing to sacrifice his son. The knife was raised, and then the angel spoke. See, it wasn't just the act of laying him on the altar. The knife was in the air, about to be thrust down and kill Isaac. And the angel stopped it. We see that you fear God. You are obedient to him. Let me take you to a passage in scripture that shows the opposite. All right? Let's, let's look at an Old Testament story of the opposite of one who's kind of in a little bit of a conundrum. All right? Let's look at 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 uh, to 7. All right, so we're going to look at this guy, and his name is Uzzah. All right, so uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 7. Uzzah, uh, this is back when uh, David, all right, David is king, and they are working on moving the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, they were moving the Ark of the Covenant uh, towards uh, Jerusalem. And listen to what the text tells us in chapter 6. All right, now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, uh, 30,000. Uh, David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name uh, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. All right, so the Ark of the Covenant was uh, kept inside the tabernacle, inside um, the Holy of Holies area. All right, so behind another curtain, not in the initial part of the tabernacle. And the priest was only allowed to go into the Ark once a year and make sacrifice and put... Uh, blood on the mercy seat, and then God would fill uh, the tabernacle and be present uh, at that time. Once a year, this, this was the holy place. Inside was Moses' staff and, and uh, the Ten Commandments and some, uh, some other things from Aaron as well. Okay, all of this was in the Ark of the Covenant, and God would present himself in a cloud over the Ark of the Covenant and so this was uh, the holiest of holy things 
that they were taken care of. God had set out rules in Exodus and Leviticus on how to take care of the Ark of the Covenant, and it was only to be uh, touched by the Levites, all right? So from Aaron's line, only those who were allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, verse, verse 3, they placed the Ark of God on a, new on a new cart, that they might bring it out from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. Uh, this is a problem, first and foremost, because God also instructed how the ark was to be moved. The ark had rings on the side of it, and you were to have poles of wood poles put through those holes, and men were to carry the ark. It was never meant to be put on a cart. So there's all kinds of things happening here with this ark that were not following the rules and the laws that God had put in place for moving this piece of the tabernacle. Uh, it's on the cart, and it says, verse 5, Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So they're, they're worshiping God as they're moving this ark. It's, they've built a cart for it, and they're moving it to where they want it to go. They're singing and praising and showing all this, this worship to God and, you know, because they are, they've got the Ark of the Covenant, and they're, they're, a, they're celebrating this. And then in verse 6, we get another but. Remember, the buts, they are either the good or the bad that comes after the initial information is given to us. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. So, so you can picture this now. They're, they're coming close to where they need to get it, and the, the oxen are starting to, to tip the cart a little bit, and the ark is going to fall off the onto the ground. And they're holding this ark in such high esteem and such proudness, and they're singing and worshiping around him. And it's starting to fall off the cart, and Uzzah looks at it, and he sees that it's falling. And the first thing he does is, don't let the ark fall. Grab the ark. And he begins to grab it and push it towards the cart because he doesn't want it to hit the ground, this sacred and holy thing. And guess what happens? As he grabbed the ark, because the oxen were nearly set, upsetting it, the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah. God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there because of the ark. He died by the ark of God. David's response, David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the Ark of the Lord come to me? David was unwilling to move the Ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom 
the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained at the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. You see what happened there? You see, God had put out a set of instructions for how the Ark of the Covenant was to be dealt with. Only certain people were allowed to touch the Ark and move the Ark, and it was to be moved in a certain way. And the first problem in this story is that David did not follow what the commands were from God that came through Moses when he wrote the Ten Commandments and got all the instructions on how to take care of the sacraments of the tabernacle. And so that first initial disobedience that, that David so wanted to move the ark, this was not showing the fear of God because Uzzah and the other fella, Ahio, were not Levites. They were not supposed to be anywhere near the ark or transporting it. And when Uzzah reached out to touch the ark, and he wasn't from the line of those who can touch the ark, God's anger burned against him. Why? Because they did not fear God. They were not obedient. Do you see the result, though? Look what happened to David. Uh, David saw the power of God when Uzzah lay beside the ark, and he feared God. Didn't move the ark. Ultimately, when we are uh, showing our worship, when we are showing God's worth, it's all about obedience. And this is one of the things that can really begin to ignite your passion for God is showing your obedience to God. It's being obedient to him. All right? when, we, when we start to elevate ourselves and we, we start to allow pride to build up in our lives, we ascribe to ourselves what we believe we are worth. We elevate ourselves above God. Uh, the Bible continues to tell us that we are to as ascribe glory to God. Uh, I've shared this uh, a few times, and I can't remember if I've shared on this podcast, so if I have, bear with me. But uh, one of the most uh, amazing documentaries that I have ever seen was uh, Indescribable by Louis Giglio. And in that uh, indescribable video, he talks about a picture that NASA has, and the picture is called Pale Blue Dot. And in that pale blue dot, it is a picture taken from a satellite uh, through the Milky Way galaxy, and it's a picture of Earth. And, and this picture that we have of Earth uh, is so small. The dot is so small, that's why it's called Pale Blue Dot. But this satellite that took these pictures uh, took forever to render all the pixels. I think it was something like three to four hours, maybe longer, for every pixel to come down. And as they waited for these, this picture to render itself and come down, 
you began to see the magnificent expanse of who God is in all of the universe. And then you look and you saw that little pale blue dot and you thought, wow, that's earth in all that God has created. And how is it that those who sit on that little pale blue dot always try to elevate themselves so far above God? When you look at this picture and you say the expanse of God is endless and yet we elevate ourselves to steal glory from God and show give ourselves more worth than what God has is actually deserving. Pale blue dot. We're just a small little speck on a small little world in the vast expanse of the universe. This is why we should show God and give him all the glory and worship him. Because in light of that pale blue dot picture, we get an understanding of how big God is and how small we are. And so think about this, how often we, we fight and we argue over the songs that we're singing on a Sunday morning. We look at the words and we can't fully grasp what they're saying or they become rote and they don't really have meaning for us anymore. That when we're in our apathy, we're, we're not thinking about the greatness of God, but we've got this ho-hum attitude that is like, well, you know, uh, I, I just can't, I just can't get into it. I just, uh, the song, the songs are not for me. Like I gotta have like a booming bass, and it's gotta be moving my chest as it, as it, as the drummer hits that bass drum. I've gotta feel it. And if I don't feel it, then it's not really me. I can't, I can't worship in that way. No, no. Uh, it's got nothing to do with the music. There is, a, there is a part of it that music allows us to focus, and that is one of the ways we can show God's worth. But we must understand and fear what God can do and be obedient to him. Do you, you want a, a, a simple example of what it means to worship? I've taken uh, this podcast to these verses so many times, so many times, but I'm doing it again. Doesn't matter. It's good to hear these scriptures over and over and over again. Uh, here, here, here's why we should be able to, to worship God and give him all the glory. And it comes from Ephesians. Uh, some of you who've maybe been listening to this for a while, you might be, be saying, oh, here he goes again. He's going back to to the book of Ephesians. Does he, does he not know any other verses in the Bible that talk about uh, who we were and who we are now? Well, there's plenty. I can take you all over the place. But you know what? I love those buts in Scripture. I love those moments of contrast that give us an understanding of God. In Ephesians 2, chapter verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, 
Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even at rest. Do you see, just in chapter 2, some of the things that we worshipped, some of the things that we held in higher esteem than God? Okay, well, it says here that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked according to the power of the air. Uh, we were in accordance with the prince of the power of the air. We were sons of disobedience. Do you know prior to Jesus Christ that the things that you held in high esteem were the things of the flesh? Things like money and power and fame. I mean, if you look at some of the, the people in the United States of America, the Hollywood elite, look at the things that they worship. Uh, if you look at over the, the last uh, couple of say, political votes. We, we've put all of our hope and all of our uh, wishes and everything in a man. All right, in Canada, we, we've just come through an election as well and putting hope in, in man, putting hope in things of the world. Uh, when we put hope in the things of the world as Christians, we, we don't ascribe the worth and the glory that is to be given to God. It says, formerly, before Jesus, you, you lived in the lusts of your flesh, indulging in the desires of your flesh and of the mind. You were children of wrath, even at rest. These are the things that you worshipped and you ascribed worth to were things that were not God, you, what, what your heart was chasing after were, were things of the world, which, which Paul writes is sin. But then, he says in verse 4, but God, rich in his mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, you might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Do you see it? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You were dead. You were destined for wrath. 
But the gift that was given to you was Jesus Christ. When I was a young uh, boy, I want to say around 10 or 11, my aunt, all right, my, my aunt passed away a couple of years ago, and she was kind of like a grandmother to me. And uh, just, I wrote a speech once for public school, and it was about my favorite uncle. And this uncle, this was his wife, all right? We, we would spend a lot of time there. And I asked my aunt one year, I said, for, for a gift, could I have the Knight Rider? Oh, oh man. Uh, those of you who are young and listening to this, Knight Rider was a television show with David Hasselhoff, and it was a talking car. It was a black Camaro. Uh, those who have been around for a while, you might remember this show. Uh, but this talking car, this toy that I asked for for Christmas from my aunt, when you pulled the license plate down, that car talked. It took two C batteries to get that thing going. And eventually I was devastated when the C battery leaked in the bottom and, and the kit car couldn't talk anymore. But I'll never forget the Christmas morning when my aunt and uncle, they came to the house and they put a box in front of me and I opened it and there was the Knight Rider car right before me. And what my aunt told me, and I will never forget it, even as a 10 or 11 year old kid, I can't remember my age, but I can remember what she said to me. She said, this gift was very expensive for us on our income. But we wanted to give you this gift. And so we sacrificed in some other areas so you could have it. And I thought, you know what? not just the gift, but I thought the whole comment that my aunt was making to me, she was showing me that she loved me. And, and the gift that she was giving me was one of the ways that she was showing that she loved me. That wasn't the only way. I'm not saying that the gift was the root to the heart by any means. But when I had that, I took care of that Oh my goodness, I took care of that car. I kid you not, folks. Michael Knight, the toy, the little guy that sat in that car, he sits in my garage right now on one of the shelves. And, and Jessica keeps asking me, can we, can we throw out that Michael Knight guy? Like, you know, you've had it forever. And I'm like, no way. Michael Knight watches over this garage and he makes sure nobody takes our car. I can't find the car. I know the car is in my house somewhere. I have held on to that and I have treasured that car and that toy from when I got it when I was 10 or 11 years old. And now I'm some 40-something. So anyway, what God did for you and I when we were dead in our trespasses because he loved us so much, he showed us how worthy we were in his eyes as his creation that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And when his son died on the cross for us, we were given eternal life, which is the free gift that comes from God. We cannot earn it. 
And so my response and your response in light of where we are now in positioned in Jesus Christ is no more than the very fact that we should be showing God worth. That we should be worshiping him with all our heart, our soul, and our mind through being obedient to his word. Showing reverence to him. Including him in all that we do. Why? Because he's our father and we, we love him and we respect him and we fear him. And when we're disobedient, we know that God will correct us. You see, in the story of Uzzah, it wasn't really the ark that God was overly saying, you know, don't touch that thing. He, he, what God was saying was, be obedient. It wasn't that ark that was a part of that worship. It was literally, you need to be obedient to me and fear me. And Uzzah didn't do that. David didn't do that. Abraham did. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son to be obedient to God. Uh, let me take you to one more uh, passage to wrap up, and I want to take you to Romans chapter 12 and, and look at what Paul says regarding worship. So in Romans chapter 12, uh, to, to conclude that worship is giving God all his worth, and we can do that by fearing him and being obedient to him. Uh, Paul says in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So first things first in this passage, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, this verse is talking about when we died to ourselves and we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior over our lives. All right? So we, we look at this, and, and some of us think that this act is an ongoing thing, that daily we sacrifice our bodies daily as a spiritual act of service. What Paul is talking about in chapter 12, verse 1, is our conversion. When we died to ourselves and we became children of God, this is the act of worship becoming obedient to him, uh, uh, having him be savior over us, formerly children of wrath, now children of God. That's, that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 12, verse 1. And that's not the ongoing action. That's what we did when we laid our lives down. Now, here's the ongoing action where we do continue to show our worship and our position in Christ. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What's Paul telling us here? That our spiritual act of service is laying down our lives our will, our passion, our desires, 
all of the things that we lusted after in the flesh, all the things that we were children of God, uh, children of the devil, we walked away from, we buried them all and came alive in Christ. Uh, that, that moment of conversion. Then he says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the lusts of the flesh, to the power of the prince of the air. Don't be conformed to, to the will of Satan. Don't follow that. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Another but. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, so uh, the renewing of our mind is continually remembering to ascribe worth to God. I am in the position that I am in because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Renew, my position is not in the world. My position is in Jesus. And to God be the glory. Not me, to God. And look what it says. When I continually as a part of that act of worship, of laying down my life and not being conformed to the world, but being transformed into being more Christ-like, I prove the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is what God desires for us. God desires for us to become Christ-like to live out the truth of God's word, to live in fear of him and give him all of the worship. Philippians chapter 4, uh, final verse we're going to look at. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul has a finally in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there are any if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. How do you renew your mind? You dwell or abide in and live in things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, anything that is excellent and worthy of what? Praise. These are the things that we need to do to worship and ignite our passion for God. You see, when, when you are apathetic to understanding your position in Jesus Christ, you can't ascribe worth to God. Because you've got a ho-hum, I'm not sure, I'm not getting anything from the, the songs. Uh, remember who you are in Jesus Christ and ascribe worship and worth to God. I would encourage you, go to Google, download the picture, pale blue dot, and just look at it. Just look at how small that earth is in comparison to the greatness of God. And remember the God who spoke creation into existence also created you. He gave you life through Jesus Christ. 
He gave you eternal life, a place to spend eternity in heaven, where Revelation 5 tells us that they worshiped Jesus. They bowed and sang praises to the King of kings and the Lord of lords because of what Jesus did for his people. And so when we remember, we truly remember where we were and where we are now, that will ignite our passion and love for God. We'll want to be obedient to him because we see what happens to people like Uzzah who don't fear the Lord. So ascribe to God the glory that he's worth. You can do that through music. You can do that through singing. You can do that through so many different ways. But the best way to do it is through being obedient to him and his word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are creator, that you are provider, that you are the beginning and the end. We thank you that you are most high. We thank you that you are our shepherd. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. We thank you that he rescued us from your wrath. And we want to show, Lord, through our lives that we are obedient to you and your word in all that we do. Father, if we, if we are in our hearts having a difficult time uh, coming to a point of worshiping you, ignite that passion in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Bring conviction of our, on our lives where we are not giving our whole heart and all the glory to you, but, but taking it for ourselves. Speak to us clearly in that, Lord, so that we can, we can correct that and we can ascribe all worth to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast by Preset Ministries Canada. Be sure to visit our website, presetministries.ca, to find a Bible study class or workshop that will give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently.